Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us tonight at Christian Challenge. Uh, my name is Ian Fitzpatrick, in case you have not met me, and I'm on staff with Christian Challenge. I've been on staff for a little over two years, um, and before that I graduated with a degree in architecture in 2018, and now I, I live uh, just outside of Culver City and work at a small architecture firm in Culver City. Tonight I'll be continuing our series and closing out our series on faith, hope, and love. Uh, last two weeks we got to hear some awesome messages from Neil and Aaron on faith and hope, uh, but tonight I have the privilege of speaking to you about love. You know, I think, I think that love is a really fitting uh, topic for us in our circumstances today. You know, between the coronavirus and uh, systemic injustice and last week's election, there are so many things that make it easy for me to see that our world is thirsty for love. You know, as, as much as I need love in those areas, uh, I often find that my desire for love is the clearest in my personal relationships. I immediately think of the inherent desire I'm born with to experience love for my parents, for them to care for me, to be there for me, to support me, be interested in me. But you know, when I think about it, I don't just desire love for my parents. I, I really desire love from, from everyone around me. You know, I want to experience love from my friends, love from other family members, you know, future children, uh, my neighbors, bosses, coworkers, everyone. But if I'm honest, the people that I, I seek love from, they aren't perfect. And sometimes, sometimes they, they fall short and I just, I feel down or I feel unloved. And this makes me wonder, like why? Why do, why do we have such a strong desire for love, but often have a hard time receiving it? You know, and our, our desire for love, I have become convinced that this is not by accident, but it's by design. We have a desire for love ultimately because God is love and we're meant to be satisfied in Him. You know, and when I say God is love, I don't just mean that all that he does uh, is, is loving, but that love is defined by who he is and what he's done. If he does something, it is loving because he is love. And the gap, the emptiness that we feel, that desire for somebody else to love us can only be filled by experiencing a God-sized love. Okay, so this introduces the question, how do we experience God's love? I mean, come on, if God is this invisible God, like how do I experience that? Like how do I, how do I feel love from him? Well, you know, as we just discussed, uh, you know, God is love. And so I'd say the first step in this is knowing who God is and what he's done. And once we know that, I'd say the second step is going to be to put our faith and our hope in him. You know, when our, our circumstances are not loving, when the people around us uh, are not loving toward us, we can remember that God is loving towards us. And therefore, you don't need to seek for love in the things of this world. They will distract you and will only leave you unsatisfied. So let me give a couple examples of what I mean. You know, when you ask your friend to help you out with something and, and they drop the ball last minute, or let's say when your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you know, they, they said they loved you, but later on they, uh, they realized that they didn't mean it. Well, God did. We hear from, uh, from Paul in his letter to, to the Roman church that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or let's say when, when your dad, he, he just spends all of his time at work. Or he spends all his time uh, at his hobby instead of with you. Or maybe when your mom just leverages guilt over you to get you to perform academically. Or worse, when one of your parents just, just walk out. 
God didn't. <laughs> God was there to support you, to encourage you, to motivate you. Again, in that same letter from Paul to the church in Rome, he tells us that I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any power, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No matter what our circumstances are, and no matter how the world may fall short to love us, it doesn't change the fact that God is love. And he loved you so much that he chose to step down from his heavenly throne, come down to this earth, live a perfect life, and die for you so that you could have a reconciled relationship with him. In the midst of a world that is falling short and loving us, knowing this love, knowing who God is and what he has done, and putting our faith and our hope in that, we can experience God's love. But, you know, I think, I think there's another way to experience um, God's love, or in a sense, get a snapshot of God's love. And it's something that Jesus introduces into the world. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's open up to, to John chapter 13. Uh, and as we read and we go through this, I want you to really try and put, your, put yourself in the, in the place of the disciples. So to give a little bit of context, Jesus He's been traveling all over for the last three years, building his ministry, healing and teaching thousands. And during that time, he brought 12 guys, 12 apostles, the 12 uh, disciples. Um, he brought them along um, to, to learn from him, to live with him and eat with him, um, and ultimately to be the people to ignite his transformation of the world, calling the world back to himself. And in this part of scripture, um, it's the evening of the Passover celebration. And this evening, honestly, it already got off to a weird start. You know, the disciples walk into this house and it starts off Jesus washing their feet. You know, this is a pretty degrading and um, humbling thing for him to do. And of course, you know, Peter takes issue with this and doesn't allow him to do it. And you know, eventually Jesus helps him get over that. Um, <laughs> but then the, the food comes in and, and let's be honest. This is what they've been waiting for, the feast to celebrate Passover. And as the food's coming in, they're starting to sit down around the table. And before they even start eating, Jesus breaks a piece of bread and he hands it to Judas. And Judas immediately takes it and gets up and leaves. And everyone's like, Judas, the, the, the food? No, but he's, he's, he's gone. That, that was weird. <laughs> and you know, the disciples didn't know this. Jesus has, has tried to explain it to them many times and is going to try again. Um, but this event was the first event in a sequence um, of events that will result in this being their last meal with Jesus before his crucifixion. And yet the disciples are very confused. And uh, Jesus goes on. He tries to clarify this. And in verse 33, he says, My children... I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. This was probably so much more confusing for the disciples. Like, Jesus, what do you mean? We, we left our homes, we left our families, we left our jobs to follow you for three years. What do you mean you're leaving? Where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? Jesus answered that question by giving them uh, an extraordinary charge and encouragement for what they are to do in his absence. He continues, he says, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So let's break this, this down a little bit. He starts off, a new command I give you, love one another. So immediately we can see that Jesus is not using love as a noun. He's not using it as, um, as an adjective or a feeling, but he's using it as a verb. And not only that, but it's the imperative form of a verb. This is a command. Jesus isn't saying, hey, go and feel something towards somebody. He's saying, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to do the action of love towards other people. Jesus has made love into a verb. So let's continue in the verse. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. Wow. This is a new standard. You know, we think, you know, love others as Jesus has loved us, and our minds immediately go to the cross. We see Jesus, you know, dying there on the cross, um, doing his thing, which is, is huge. That is so important. We could not have a relationship with him if it wasn't for what he did on the cross. But at the time, this is not what the disciples were thinking. You know, Jesus has tried to explain to them before that he's going to die, um, but they have not put the pieces together. To them, this, this command to love others as he has loved them is so much more personal and so much more relational because they think back to the last three years that they've spent with him day in and day out, eating every meal together and seeing how he sacrificed for them. I'm sure Peter thinks back and goes, man, Jesus, I, I remember when we were we were on that boat in the middle of the lake and, and the storm came and, and I lost faith. I lost hope. We were, we were freaking out. I thought our mission was forfeit, that we were all going to die. But, but you appeared on the water and you said, do not fear. And I saw you and I said, Jesus, can I come to you? And you said, come. And I took a step out into the water and I, a few steps in, this, this gust of wind came. And, and again, I was afraid and I lost hope and I began to sink. All of a sudden, I was, I was wet, I was cold, I was em, embarrassed and, and ashamed. But you came up to me. You reached out with your hand and grabbed me. Um, and, and you took hold of me and said, why did you doubt? You were patient with me. You were there for me. You <laughs> pulled me up out of a difficult place to encourage me and motivate me and grow me. Jesus, you, you loved me. I'm sure Matthew remembers back to his days as a tax collector. You know, um, if you're not familiar with tax collectors at this time, they, they were truly hated by the Jewish people. This is the classic ancient example of taxation without representation. Rome just took money from the Hebrews and brought it back to the wealth of Caesar. But on top of that, tax collectors were known for being corrupt, for taking too much money that they needed. And so it was likely that Matthew thought back and was like, wow, I was rejected by my family. I was a disgrace to my community. Um, but Jesus, you didn't see that in me. You forgave me. You erased my record of wrongs from your memory. And you asked me to follow you. Jesus, you, you loved me. Nathaniel, I'm sure, remembers back to the first time that he met Jesus, having heard about this prophet or maybe even this Messiah that has come out from Nazareth. And, and Jesus, my response was, can anything good come from Nazareth? I doubted from the beginning. I disrespected you and your family and your home. Yet you extended grace to me. You invited me to follow you. Jesus, you, you loved me. So even though they were not yet thinking about the crucifixion, um, 
the example that they have of love is, is so personal and meaningful. And I'm sure they can think back to so many examples of Jesus sacrificing for them and being patient with them to lead them and teach them. And even though they weren't thinking of the crucifixion, Jesus alludes to this in two chapters. He rephrases his original statement, says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to give up one's life for one's friend. That is new, what Jesus has introduced here. He has introduced a new standard for love, and it's God's standard, and it is very high. So let's see. First, we have Jesus turns, turns love into a verb, and he sets a new standard for love. Let's go back to the verse. Um, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Your mark as a disciple of Christ will not be that one time you prayed some prayer that you go to church every Sunday, but by the way that you love one another. You may be thinking, whoa, 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 Ian, hold on. But I, I'm saved by, by faith, right? You know, what, what I believe is important. That prayer I prayed is important. Um, and ultimately, like, God judges the heart, right? You know, I'm not, I'm not standing before God dependent on how I love others. And to that, I would say, you know, you're absolutely right. Your faith and belief is essential because you're never going to love perfectly to God's standards. Your love will never meet up to his level. And that gap between your love and his love is filled with the death and resurrection of Christ. And that's how you're justified before God and can have a relationship with him. And again, I would say, you know, you're right. God judges the heart. But a couple things about that. You know, first I'd say that your actions are a product of your heart. You know, if you're looking for a gauge of where your heart is at, I would look at your actions. And, and, you know, if you're not loving others, your heart is probably not in the right spot. On top of that, let's say that that's not true. Let's say that you um, have the appearance of loving others, that you're doing good things and it seems like you're loving others. But your, your motivation is, is a selfish, self-centered motivation. You're looking to better your reputation. Maybe you're looking to uh, gain leverage over somebody else or even to just feel good about yourself for, for serving. You know, John tells us in his, uh, in his first letter that we love because God first loved us. And Paul also tells us in his letter, uh, to one of his letters to the church in Corinth, that it is the love of Christ which compels us. So yes, God does judge your heart. This means that your actions have to be loving and your motivations have to be true, have to be out of uh, a response to experiencing God's love um, and that he's loved you. So this brings us back to the second way that we can experience love of God. You know, we just talked about um, earlier that we can experience it through our faith and hope in him. But we can experience God's love when other people love us the way that God has loved us. We get a snapshot of it. And better yet, we can give others a snapshot of God's love when we treat them with the love that God has treated with us. This is huge for two reasons. The first is fellowship. You know, we as a community, when we decide to love one another um, and treat each other the way that God has, has treated us, with the motivation that God has, um, then we firsthand experience his love in the community uh, and relationships he desires for us. And you know, in, in our world that's thirsty for love and is 
continuing to try to steal our attention, to have us seek after things that will only leave us more thirsty. This type of community is extraordinarily refreshing and encouraging. And the second thing I would say is that this is important for outside of our fellowship. You know, if our world is thirsty for love and others don't know God, then they're going to remain thirsty and they're going to be so confused as to why they can't seem to get this gap filled. And they're going to be wondering what this is about for their entire lives. By loving them, we can show them what God is like. We can give them the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. And God can use that to draw them to himself so that they can ultimately experience him with the faith and hope that we're made to have in him, to be satisfied by the love of God. So these are the two great benefits. But again, let's go back to, to this extraordinary command that Jesus has given us. You know, First, we have that love is a verb, is an action that we need to go out and do. The second thing is that um, he has given us a new standard for love, and it is the way that God has loved us. And lastly, that love is our mark as disciples. And when we love others the way that God has loved us, we give them the opportunity to experience a snapshot of God's love. So I hope it's, it's clear to you guys that love is something that is so incredibly important to God. And he knows this, and he knows that we need to understand it crystal clear. And we have a huge uh, example for us in the four Gospels and seeing Jesus' life, how he lived. Um, but God gave us another uh, opportunity to understand love. Um, he, he devoted an entire chapter in Paul's letter, uh, his first letter to the church in Corinth, to describe what love is. You know, and, and oftentimes we, we see this, this passage at, at weddings and it's thought about in the context of, of relationships or of marriage. And I, you know, I think it's super important in a romantic sense because you want to love your spouse and you want your spouse to love you. But uh, let's, just not, let's not limit this passage to that context. I want us to look at this passage in the context of how we treat all other people and how we love everyone. So with that, um, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So, this is a really big list. And it's easy to glaze over this and to think, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm that way you know, m most of the time. Um, but I want us to take a second and really think about what, uh, what, what God is asking us here to do. Because I think this, this is an extraordinarily intimidating list. You know, sadly, we don't have time to go through every item in this list. Honestly, a, a, a talk could be done about every single phrase in here. Um, but I, I want to hit a couple of them because I, I want to get us to really start to think about it. You know, love is patient. And, you know, I'll, I'll bet that most of the time you're patient. As long as somebody doesn't do anything that, that tests your patience. <laughs> but I want you to ask yourself, what, what takes away your patience? You know, as long as your, your roommate keeps their half of the room clean or doesn't leave the uh, dirty dishes in the sink? As long as nobody shares an opinion that you don't like or that offends you, as long as nobody cuts you off in traffic, um, or as long as your, your group partner or your coworker does their share of the work, then yeah, I'm sure you're patient. 
But Luke has a record of Jesus saying that if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you're only patient with people or in circumstances that don't test your patience, then you're not patient. So what fights take away your patience? Uh, And it's at that time it matters most for you to be patient. Okay, let's go to the next one. Love is kind. I I really like this one. I like this one because I think it's one of the easiest ones to read over and just go, oh yeah, you know, I'm kind. But I want us to, to, to combine this one with a couple other ones. So let, let's jump to verse 7 and look at, uh, at two of those. Uh, let's add love always trusts and always perseveres. Um, you know, I, I like the word always. It's, it's not great. It's very black and white. You know, always is always. And you know what this means is, look, let's say that somebody disrespects you. You know, maybe they, they, they yell at you or they say some, some unkind things to you. Or worse, maybe they, they start disrespecting somebody that you care about. You know, um, if someone disrespects me, that's one thing. But um, if, if somebody disrespects Jenna, then uh, facts, I will be mad. Um, I will feel anger towards you, but we, we, we just read always trusts and, and always perseveres. So always trust. What does that mean? You know, when someone disrespects us or someone we care about, we're going to have to choose to trust. Trust that, you know, maybe they're just, they're having a really bad day. Or, you know, maybe, maybe they were raised in a household where this is normal and, and they just don't know any better. Or maybe, maybe they, uh, they've believed so many lies about themselves that being angry and tough is the only way that they can feel adequate or good about themselves. And even though you may feel anger, you need to trust and allow your actions to communicate kindness instead of anger. It's like it always perseveres. You know, maybe somebody else is being disrespectful, or maybe maybe your circumstances. They just suck. You know, you've got a paper that's due tomorrow and you've had writer's block for like a week. You know, your group partner for this other project, they're MIA. You just forgot about this other thing in your schedule tonight that you have to go to and you're just having a bad day. Everything is making you upset. You know, some guy says hi to you as you walk by and that just, that just gets you all riled up and all angry because, you know, why is that guy happy? Um, I'm not happy. <laughs> um, your, your feelings should have no impact on how you love others. Because love always perseveres. Love pushes through difficult days and difficult seasons and difficult people. Love is kind, you know. I, I would say a, a similar thing that we said about patience. You know, if, if, if you're kind most of the time, but you don't trust and you don't persevere to be kind when others are not kind towards you or when you're angry, then I'm sorry, you're not kind. The action of love is not dependent on feeling love towards others. The action of love pushes through when you do not feel love. And last one. Okay, this is probably my favorite one because this is so hard. Um, And doing this right, which I am not, I do not do this correctly um, very often, um, but doing this right is is so impactful. You know, so let's say you have a best friend um, and, you know, you guys tell each other everything, you're super close, but but one time you you really drop the ball and you really, really hurt them. I'm not sure if uh, you have a specific example in mind, maybe something's coming to your head where you're like, yeah, I remember when this happened. Um, But if you don't, you know, imagine like, Let's say like they were they just broke up with their significant other and, and two weeks later you started dating them. 
Ouch, uh, very disrespectful. Let me not say that they told you a secret that they've never told anybody. And you know that next week you went out and told somebody else, and then they told everybody. <laughs> and and man, you, you just did something that, that really hurt them, and you feel awful about it. You, know, you feel so bad about it, you can't sleep. And um, you know you talk to them next week, and you go, "Hey, I, I'm, I'm so sorry I did this to you. That that was so disrespectful." And you know they they listen to you, and they're they're kind toward you, they're patient towards you, and, and they forgive you. They go, "Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I forgive you." A few months later go by and you know you're you're still kind of sad about it and and you bring it up to Trump again you just want to want to clarify hey again I'm I'm so sorry that, that I did this to you and they respond with what do you what do you mean and like you know I, I did that thing and and they're like I I, I don't remember what you're talking about. I don't know. And you're like okay no come on you were so mad about this for weeks how do you not remember it? And they say, you know, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. That, what you're, what you're describing, that's not who you are. It takes you a second to realize it, but they, they forgave you. When they forgave you, they chose to unassociate that action with you. Because, because love keeps no record of wrong. How often... When somebody else does something that wrongs us or that is unloving towards us, we just bring it up again and again to manipulate them, to leverage guilt over them. This is not love. Even if we don't bring it up, we like to rehearse it over in our heads, over and over, every time we see them, just remembering, oh, they did that thing, um, and we get all upset and frustrated, and this isn't love either. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love chooses to unassociate those actions with them. So this is all the time we have to talk about some of these different um, ones, but I really want to encourage you guys to to go through and really think about uh, the commands in this passage. Because when I look at these commands, none of this comes natural. And all of it takes intentionality and practice. But this is what love looks like. So let's zoom back. Let's go to the beginning of what we were talking about. You know, we were... Look at how the world is so thirsty for love. And we have the opportunity to have our thirst quenched through faith and hope in the love of God. And Jesus' last meal with his disciples before his resurrection, he chose to share with them this extraordinary command, reshaping love, calling us to love others as he has loved us because he has loved us. This command was given during what I consider to be one of the chief examples of evil in our world's history, which is the Roman Empire. Be it Caesar or Nero, whoever was on top, leveraging their power and their authority over others to reign in justice. It was, what was going on at that time, it was unthinkable for us today. It was a horrid time of evil. You know, as Aaron mentioned last week, Nero was infamous for burning Christians alive in his garden. Sex at the time was so celebrated and idolized that there were so many children being born that they implemented the ancient form of abortion of leaving babies on their door to die because they didn't want to take care of them. On top of that, uh, women were literally viewed as objects bought and sold by men for their own desires as mistresses. Slavery was rampant and encouraged. And being someone living in that time, it would have been impossible to think and imagine that the Roman Empire would one day fall, and that this reign of tyranny and injustice 
would go away. But amidst that world, 12 ordinary guys under the instruction of Jesus took his word and his command to love others seriously. And they loved the world like the world had never seen and could never have imagined. And 2,000 years later, who's remembered? The Roman Empire is nothing more than a chapter in a history book you read in seventh grade that you don't even remember. But Jesus and those 12 guys who decided to love the world by God's standards, seemingly insignificant to the authorities and evils in their circumstances today, are intimately studied by billions of people to base their lives and their decisions around them. They had a far greater impact than the Roman Empire. You have the opportunity today to experience God's love and to show the world the love of God, just as they did. So maybe today you're tired of what the world, um, of how the world has not loved you, and you're thirsty and you want to experience God's love for the first time. I'd encourage you to get in contact with a staff member, get in contact with your life group leader, and talk to them about what Jesus has done for you and how you can begin to experience his love daily. Let's say that you've been experiencing God's love for, for weeks, months, or years, and you're, you're eager to show God's love to the rest of the world. I'd encourage you to consider doing one or all of the following. First, memorize John 13, 34, and 35, and memorize 1 Corinthians 13, the whole thing. You know, what love is, how we are to love others, should be like bread and butter for us. We shouldn't have to think and try to remember what it is. We should know this. Second, I'd schedule some time, um, at least an hour in, in the next week, to really, really meditate on, on these verses uh, in 1 Corinthians 13 and, and figure out how you can love better. What do you struggle with and how do you need to grow in this area? The third thing I'd encourage you to do is to build a habit of praying daily to see and take opportunities to exercise the love of God towards others. And lastly, I'd like to encourage you to slow down and reevaluate your schedule and maybe do a little bit less. Because if you're too busy, you're, not, you're never going to see the opportunities to love people. And even if you do see them, you're not going to be able to justify taking out the time of your day to perform them. 2,000 years ago, God used 12 guys to change the world because of how they loved others. And I believe that God can do the same thing again today. Thank you for joining us tonight.